Welcome to the Real Estate Trainer Podcast with your host, Brian Eisenhower. This podcast is brought to you by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. ICC provides customized and structured coaching and training programs for real estate agents and team leaders, representing many of the top producing agents in North America. ICC also offers broker and owner consulting on agents recruiting, training, and retention. For more info, visit EisenhowerCoaching.com or find us on Facebook. Negotiate on behalf of your clients. Go back and forth. Keep more offers at play. These are very, very structured methods for negotiating in real estate. And mainly I'm gonna show you two different models, two that I've used over the years that I've been taught to me, and they are two different things, depending on the situation or, or how I feel things are going, or you know, even sometimes the market. I do wanna discuss this uh, and show you these uh, two models. And the first one I wanna talk about is a model called meet in the middle. Um, now, again, in real estate, you don't, or in negotiating, especially, you don't ever really wanna meet in the middle. Like, the, the, you know, that, that's just kind of a, a concession. Um, so you don't ever want to just meet in the middle, but I call it meet in the middle because when we describe either of these models, you know, we want to be show, we don't want to just be negotiating on behalf of our clients just to be getting our clients the best deal that, cause we are going to do that. Our, our job is to represent and our, we have a fiduciary duty to advocate, advocate on behalf of our clients and, and, and get them the, the best price as a buyer or, or the most, uh, uh, highest amount of sellers proceeds for sellers for sure. But we also want to get credit for it. Like they don't often see the negotiating we do. So we want to make sure that they actually see what we're doing, why we're doing it, have an active part to play in it, just because we have a duty to do that for them, number one. And number two, because we want them to actually see the value we provide to them in representation. That's what in, 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 um, entices them to use us again as a repeat client or refer us to other people as a referral and get us more business. They'll actually respect us um, later on in the transaction. They will listen to our advice when they start to see that we might know more than them. So it's very important what I described to you, the processes and the models and the structure that you're using, that we are able to then turn around and convey what we are doing the same way in a, in a lot of a lot of ways to our clients because i don't care who you are there's always someone you know it's usually the man in the relationship i always say that that always thinks they're the best negotiator they have but but if you ask them what process they use it's just got an instinct they have no idea there's no roadmap you know what I mean? It's very loose at best, you know? And their idea of great negotiation is just hardlining, you know, like, nope, I'm a great negotiator because I say nope, you know? So they walk away from tons of opportunity without even knowing it, always thinking they did the best job negotiating, right? And that's ignorance. That's ignorance. They, they, they don't see a better way. But if you can actually sit down with someone and say, hey, there's actually a method of attack that we're using here and I'm employing this in this situation, here's why and how, and here's what I'm doing. All of a sudden they're like, oh, most people have never seen any type of negotiating structure or model ever. Very rarely has anyone ever seen that. I don't care who they are. 
Even people that claim they've seen it really haven't. I'm not joking. It's that rare. I'm going to show you two today um, that is extremely rare, even in the real estate industry, for you to see those. So I really want you to, and I want you to pay close attention. The first one, like I said, is called meet in the middle. And the idea is actually not to meet in the middle. It's to avoid meeting in the middle. But we establish where the middle is, and then we slowly try to pull the other side up to your side of the middle more and more, almost like a tug of war where you're pulling them closer and closer to you. Um, and they're getting more and more comfortable with you establishing a new middle with each counter back and forth that you're slowly sliding them your way. And that's the idea to meet in the middle is to avoid meeting in the middle. It's to keep moving where the middle is closer to your starting point. Okay, so that's the idea. So let me show you. It's probably easier to show you these models than it is just to tell you about them. Let me show you the meet in the middle model. So in this case, in this hypothetical, we're going to assume that you represent the seller. Okay, and we're going to list the price or we have the price listed, let's say at $600,000. Okay, and an offer comes in at 500,000 and that might really upset your seller. Your seller might get very, very upset. Like I'm offended. I don't even want to respond to that. You know, that makes me angry or even worse. You as the agent say, ha, ah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to respond to that. that. That to me, that's the worst representation of the planet. That's not to me. That's just proven. If you have no other offers on a property and you shoo away an offer, that's just bad, lazy behavior as a real estate agent. And there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You want to entertain all offers until at least you get one. Because then every time another agent says, hey, do you have an offer? It's, yep, you better hurry. You can still beat it though. Now you're in multiple operation situations and you can start to get them playing against each other. You can, that other agent can say, hey, they've already got an offer. So now that their offer has to come in even higher. So for you to shoo away an offer so that you have no offers, that you can't use to play and get other offers up is freaking crazy. It's just horrible. So don't get offended or like, I'm just going to blow that off. You always want to get an offer on the table. You get an offer on the table. Now it's easy to get those other offers and counter offers up. You actually create a script for the other buyer's agents to get their clients offers up. Okay. Sometimes we'll drag out that first offer forever. Take a long time responding, getting back and forth. We call that dragging offers. We stretch the offers out on the seller side. Even if they say you got 24 hours to respond in a low inventory market, no, you don't. You can say whatever you want, but they're not going anywhere. You know, so you can stretch it out. And for those of you that are on the buyer side of that don't like it, well, that that's actually what I want you to feel. Welcome to a negotiation. You're, you, there's a lot of sacrifice and give and take. You're in battle now. If you're just trying to be friendly, friendly and work everything out in negotiation, I'm not sure you have the right mindset to advocate on behalf of your clients against an opponent. Okay. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So yes, if you're representing the seller, we drag those offers out. Okay. And so we don't ever want to shoo away a first offer. Okay, very important we understand that concept. We drag the offers so we can get into a multiple situation and really put the power of negotiating on, on our client's side.
And that's what we do by dragging it out. We entertain everything, right? So we explain that, right? We always explain to our clients what we're doing. We drag those offers. We always keep them alive as long as we can. We never rush to get, we never want to say, hey, pound sand, forget it. I just want to teach them a lesson and say, no way. That's just immature thinking. That's not good negotiating. It's impulsive. It's reactive. It's immature. It's not well thought out, it's not logical, and it's not designed to get you the highest amount of seller proceeds, that's for sure. So don't let your clients act foolishly. That's what they hired you for. So explain to your clients what the goal is and why here, okay? And then as you're going back and forth in this process, we're gonna keep explaining what we're doing and why, okay? So that offer comes in at 500,000. You listed at six. The first thing we do is figure out the middle point. And we show that to our seller, our client. The middle point here is 550, okay? Are you okay with the middle point? Does that upset you? They may not want it and they may not accept it, but if you're not offended by the middle point, let's keep going, okay? In other words, if the offer came in at 550, would you still be okay to play with this thing? If they say yes, which they usually would, at least play with it, then let's keep going. Okay, so that's the middle. Let's slowly try to drag them to our side of the middle. So they come in at five, how do we counter? Okay, so our first counter, you must be okay with the middle point where we established that, okay? So if we wanna stay in line with the middle point of 550, we would offer 575, right? Because we just moved 25, they could come up to 525 and we would still have a middle point of 550. We don't want to do that though. We want we don't want to meet in the middle. We want to start pulling them our way. Okay? So what we do is we go with the orange option number 2. We counter at 585. Now we're going to bring the middle up to our side. Okay? We make a move then from 600 to 585. We only came up came down 15,000, okay? That's not the middle, and this gets mathematical, so, you know, welcome to real estate when you're dealing with numbers. The middle of between 600 and 550 is 575. That's if I wanna keep the middle in place at the same place. Halfway between 600 and 550 is 575. I don't like that. I want to pull up above that. So I'm going to put, that would put us on track to get 550, right? I want to come in at 585 and that's going to create a new middle of 560. Okay. If I come up to 585, that's going to make their counter offer have to come up a little bit higher. That pulls them up to 535 to remain competitive they need to be stretched up and they come up to 535. That brings our middle up to 560. Okay, so we have a new middle. We're still quite far apart, which is fine. All this back and forth is wonderful. That helps us drag offers, right? That keeps another player on the table. If you're one of those agents that likes to say, oh, you know what, I can't handle all this highest and best now. You're missing all this opportunity to go back and forth with your individual offers. You know what I'm saying? I know it's a lot of work, but if you got the time, you negotiate all your offers one by freaking one back and forth. It just creates more time to get more offers in the mix 
and more power on the seller side. The more buyers you have, the more suitors, the longer you can keep it going. The likelihood of losing the buyer to another listing is very slim in a low inventory market. There's not many other listings to choose from. So playing this game actually serves your clients better, right? Then your counter number three, same thing. You look at the middle point. What is the middle? Okay. So right now we have an offer of 572 and a middle of 560. Okay. Sorry. We have an offer of 585, excuse me, and 560. What is the middle in between 585 and 560? If we cut that in half, the middle point exactly in between those two numbers would be 572. But again, we don't want to stay on the middle, even though it's a new higher middle. We want to keep trying to pull the middle up towards our client, the seller. So what do we do is we come up a little higher. We, we instead counter at 580. And now suddenly we have created a new middle of 567.5 down below. Okay. So that new middle of 567.5, we've slowly pulled the middle up from 550, 17,500. And if I'm showing this, in describing this process to my sellers along the way, they realize that I've made them over $17,000 in my negotiating back and forth. I don't care how many houses they bought and sold before. It's the same old junky realtor that's represented them every time. Well, what do you want to offer? What do you want to offer? I say we come back at this with no strategy at all. They want this, so let's offer this. Like there's literally no strategy. Half the time, it's the agent asking you. Oh, that's the worst when you try to let the client drive the bus. Can you imagine a doctor saying, what do you think? Oh my goodness, do not do that. You talk about putting stress and anxiety on your client. That is a, one of the biggest cardinal sins in real estate is saying, I don't know, what do you think? That is making the home buying, selling, and negotiating process totally stressful on them. They'll second guess themselves. They'll create buyer remorse. You'll create seller remorse. You wonder why your deals, your clients get out of control later on in the process is because they're second guessing their own negotiating. They think you tricked them. It's horrible. You know, I mean, you're a professional. One of the things we're supposed to be telling people is that, you know, we'll use our negotiating skills. Well, don't ask them what they want to do. I cannot imagine that. I, I know tons of clients do it and they think that they're providing customer service by, you know, I, I just am blown away as how bad that is. So if you do that, stop, use a strategy and guide and help your clients. That's what they're paying you for. If you have a hard time, like justifying your commission, maybe this is why, because you really aren't adding value. I think it's time to start. So showing them a process like this, showing them how we don't get stuck in the middle and how we're negotiating on behalf and keep showing them with each time. Here's what we're doing. Show them the middle point. Show them when that offer comes in. Here's the middle. And if we want to stay on course for that middle price, which I don't think we do, we'd offer this amount. But instead, let's pull it up and now we're going to create a new middle. And then we'll keep, we, and don't worry, we'll go back. Either they're going to take our price or we're going to have opportunity to pull that middle up further. One of the two is going to happen with each counter. I just showed you three counters 
from one side there. That's not many. And you can go further than that because we just create a new middle each time. Either they accept our price. So every counter we make, we have to be okay with. They might come up and accept it, especially if more offers jump in the mix, right? When they hear about more offers, we're always telling our client, hey, more people are getting in. You keep countering us. So, but keep it alive because the more offers we have in play, the stronger the negotiating position for our seller. And the more likely we're going to find buyers that come into the game thinking, I don't want to lose this one. Let's go up and get it. So keep them alive. This highest and best, I get it. You get busy. But boy, if you really want to get the highest amount of proceeds, negotiate on behalf of your clients. Go back and forth. Keep more offers at play. I mean, if you don't have a lot of pending transactions right now, I don't know what you're doing with your time anyway. At least play with them for the sake of your clients. Okay. Now, so the meet in the middle is the first one. And the idea is to keep moving the middle, keep moving the middle your way and keep showing your work to your sellers. Now, the other way is a little bit more structured. You don't have to be quite as good with math. On that one, you got to keep kind of calculating where the middle point is uh, between your offer and the counter offer, and then trying to drag them up. This next one actually is called, I call it the Eisenhower negotiation method. Um, and that's because my dad taught it to me. Um, and my dad was a real estate broker for more than 50 years and he's a very, very smart man. Um, highly intelligent, very structured, had, had a very high C behavior. He, um, he had he had models and structures for everything. And um, it's kind of interesting because I, 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 I love this book on negotiating called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And it, you know, although it's not designed for real estate, it's really good general negotiating tactics. I, I like a lot of it and a lot of it can be applied to what we're talking about. And he actually references a model that's very similar to my dad's that it's called the Ackerman model. He doesn't talk about it a lot, but he does talk about it towards the end of the book. So it's very, very similar to the Ackerman model in Chris Voss's book. And, but my dad's model was, was wonderful. And I've used it long before that book came out. And so I've kind of seen some similarities there between the two and, and, and it helped. So I'll say the Ackerman model helped influence the way I present it today. Cause I do like how it was presented by Chris, Chris Voss and his book never split the difference. So um, without much further ado, I'm going to kind of explain it to you how it works a little bit more structured, a little less flexibility in it. Um, it's not just for buying and selling property. This one you can actually use for just about anything you want to buy. I guess you could with, uh, with the meat in the middle model. I'm going to use a little bit different example here though. Here's the process. This is the Eisenhower negotiation method. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go through the process first, and then I'm going to show you an example below hand. Okay. The first thing you do, the first step of this one, rather than establishing a middle is we're going to actually set your price target. Okay. So we're going to set your price target. So if you see a home listed, um, for a certain price, we're going to say, okay, I, I can't pay that, but I want to pay this amount. Here's the price I want to buy it for. Okay. So your first offer is going to come in at 85% of your target price. Okay. So your first offer, you got your target and then your first offer is going to come in at 85% of your target price. Okay. So we calculate that ahead of time. 
Okay. So it's really hard to plan out negotiations like this, um, especially when multiple offers come in. Competitors can be unpredictable. So you're going to have varying urgency, things like that. I get that. Um, again, you, you got to have some flexibility in this, but this is about as structured as you're going to get, and you're going to have to be able to flex off this, right? Um, I even put down here at the bottom note that some markets may vary. Some markets are hotter than others. So you might have to adjust. Your first offer might come at 92% rather than 85%. Okay. Okay. Then you're going to calculate three future raises with each counter offer. 92%, 98%, and 100% of your target price, right? So your first offer is 85%, your second offer is 92%, your third offer is 98% of your target price. And then it isn't until our fourth counter offer that we're gonna offer the best we can do, 100% of our target price, okay? So there's really only a four-step process here where you're gonna have, I mean, yes, we gotta set a target goal, but then after that, we're just having four counter offers and it's the, the key in your first couple is to keep the offer alive because you're coming in really low typically especially in a low inventory housing market for example right so a few points to consider here is we're going to use as much tactical and tactical empathy we've, we've gone over that um, previously to say no a lot to get your opponent to counter offer okay because that's hard you get a lot of lazy agents out there that don't want to counter low offers they don't know how to keep it alive so what you need to try to do is get a lot of no's now i get it if you're in an area where listings aren't sitting don't shut down on this because i do realize there's different markets different locations and in some areas like if you don't go well above offer you know asking price you lose it right off the bat i get that that's different so do that but again, those are for short periods of time. The majority of time in real estate, it's not that. And there's different types of properties out there. You know what I'm saying? Yes, if you're buying a single family median home price listing, you're probably gonna go off to get it in a, in a low inventory market. However, if you're trying to buy an eight plex, that may not be the case. Or you're trying to negotiate an interest rate on a hard money loan, that may not be the case. There's lots of different ways we negotiate in real estate other than going back and forth with another agent. Please understand that. Almost everything you do is a negotiation. If not, you're you're the one, you're the sucker. Let's put it that way. Um, we have we we learn that a lot as coaches in this industry. How often agents people please to do what other people want because they think it's customer service when they're really losing a negotiation. Like they're giving deals to their lender friend without getting any compensation or anything like that for marketing and things like that. It's the agent's the sucker, you know, uh, happens all the time. And most agents never learn that uh, until they get a coach. There's my shameless plug. So with that being said, as we keep moving, use a precise non-round number in your final 100% offer. This one's real important, okay? So don't come in at 240,000 with your final offer, for example. Make it 237,893 or at least 237, you know, 890 or something like that because that shows you really really did some serious calculating and you really really thought it out like this is as high as i can freaking go there's another penny left in me. but if you leave things on the table like 240 that makes me think okay that we at least we can squeak another thousand out of you. your final offer needs to be your final offer or you're not going to get the property for your goal you're going to start selling your goal short and that's what that's the that's the feeling you get when you're losing a negotiation. You start justifying why you're going to spend more than you wanted to. That's what you feel like when you're losing a negotiation. 
okay? And then you start trying to use emotion and logic to justify why you lost the negotiation and you didn't lose. I didn't lose because I, at least I can get this out of it and I'll be able to deduct this and you start going backpedaling and doing all that, right? So when all that starts to happen, when all that starts to, to, to come to fruition, we know we've sold ourselves short. And it's usually because we didn't negotiate hard enough up front. We didn't use a structure and a model. We just, we either got too lazy because we hardlined it too hard or we got too impatient being in limbo, um, which that's probably the most common problem is I wanna put this together. I can't wait anymore. I'm too anxious. Am I gonna get it or not? And I just can't stay in limbo and I can't negotiate for a week or two period. Or I don't know how to show my clients my my the, to stay in limbo. A lot of people can't leave live comfortably with things undone. They can't live in that chaos. They have to know, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. Mom, I gotta open my Christmas presents now. I can't wait. It's amazing, agents and, and adults are no different. They can't live in that uncertainty of limbo. They wanna put it to bed. Guys, the pros know not to do this. They can still sleep at night. So you gotta get comfortable in chaos. You gotta get comfortable in limbo. You gotta get comfortable with things not being put to bed. You gotta get comfortable going back and forth, okay? You gotta get comfortable going back and forth, okay? So really, really important. So make sure you leave it open. Now, with your final offer, if you can, try to throw in a non-monetary item that you may not care much about to show that you're at your limit, right? So if I'm representing the seller, maybe I throw in the barbecue. Hey, you know what? I'll leave the, I'll leave the, the above ground spa for you. Or you tell them, hey, maybe they can take something, like maybe they can have the refrigerator or they can have the stove or hey, we'll, we'll let them rent back for free or, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, try to throw something like that in only at the very end. Okay, that shows you're trying so hard and it really softens the other side. It makes them feel better about you because a lot of people just don't want to lose a negotiation. And if they see that you're at your limit, but you're trying to throw a non-monetary item in there, like giving the seller a lease back, or even if they don't want it, they just see you're trying. It's amazing what that does. So when you're at that 100% offer, throw it in. Okay, throw it in. Real important. Okay, so I love that one. Again, remember, you may have to get a lot tighter in low inventory markets. Just ensure that the increments are decreasing as you get closer. Notice how I get tighter and tighter. I start at 92% in this hot market example. Then I go to 96 and then I go to 98, 98.5. Then I go to 100. The increments in between them are getting smaller. See, this is 4% difference. Then we have a 2.5% difference. And then we have only a 1.5% difference. So the increments in between my counters are decreasing as I get closer to the target. Up here, they were spread out even more. We had a 7% difference between 85 and 92, then a 6%, and then a 2%. I get tighter and tighter as I get closer. That's the key. Let's say I'm buying a triplex for 500,000, okay? I set a target price of 450. Can you imagine coming in at my initial offer of 85% of that, 382.5? I mean, that's gonna really tick some people off. So you gotta do everything you can to keep it alive. Hey, just counter me. I just need to, I need to, I don't care where you counter. Just counter me. I don't care if you only come off 5,000 bucks. Counter me, keep it alive for me. Because you're gonna see agent agents. I don't even wanna deal with it, it's too low. Why the hell not? I don't get it. It just blows my mind. Keep it alive. Get the other person to keep it alive. 
That's your goal is to keep it alive. It'll help me bring them up. So please keep it alive. Because that's the hard part right there. Because they're, they're going to offend with that. So keep it alive. Tell them just come off a little. It's a triplex, like I said, so it's not that crazy. You know, there aren't, you know, owner-occupants trying to buy triplexes very often. It does happen, but not very often. But it's crazy in this market, in the low inventory market at least. Then we're going to come up to 92% of our target. Now it's at 414. Still going to tick them off. Keep it alive. Just come down a little bit for me. So they sneak down a little bit more. They're barely moving. I mean, they started at 500,000. They're only off 15,000. But look how far I'm moving. I'm moving a lot. My counter now, I'm going to jump to 98%, 441. Because my increments are getting smaller, but I'm really, really... 441, man, I've moved almost $60,000. They've only moved 15. They are going to start to feel like they're making progress because of that. See what I'm saying? So again, keep it alive, guys. Do what you can. They just come down another 10. That's it, 475. That's when down below, I'm going to come in at my final offer at 100% of my target which is 450, but again, I make it a weird number, 449, 357, to show I, maybe I say, hey, you guys can stay in there. We can do, you know, we can close in 45 days, 60 days, gives you extra time to find a replacement property. We can lease it back, whatever you, whatever you gotta do. Tell them they can keep something, they can keep one month's of rent, so if it's a triplex, whatever. They can keep the prorated rent, and keep the security deposit, whatever you gotta do. Throw in something tiny that does not affect price to show that you're trying as hard as you can. Because you look, you're not too far apart there, right? I mean, you're at 475 and they're down there at, you know, 450 roughly, only 25 grand apart. You've kept it alive by starting very, very low. So this, the Eisenhower model does work at doing that. Just remember your steps, come in. And if you show this up front, again, we, we must show our work, right? Real important that we get in there and we show what we're trying to do, okay? Really, really important is we're gonna explain to them, hey, we're gonna use this method in this scenario. The whole key up front is to try to keep it alive. We might lose them and have to restart over with a meet in the middle type argument, right? Then we're gonna have to get real and make an offer that's closer to keep it alive and start over. But quite frankly, even if they don't counter you and you have to write a new offer that's higher, you can just adjust your Eisenhower method to a tighter method, right? To that low inventory hot market method. Maybe we can't come at eight, in at 85% of my target. Maybe we have to start at 92%. So a new offer is really just like a counter offer. We just come in a little higher. It's no different. Hopefully that makes sense. But that's the difference is we have a pre-prescribed system of decreasing in increments where we kind of know where we're going to go so long as the agent's able to keep the deal alive with the other agent. And I, I you know, oftentimes you'll come in and just say, hey guys, my guys are going to have to feel like that they're trying. So don't disregard the first two offers. Keep them alive. Just give me soft counters back. They're almost nominal in value just to keep this alive. And you'll start to see 
you'll start to see as long as you keep it alive, those sellers will come down because they'll see your movement and they will come down. And that's the key. Now, with that being said, I see a question in here. When somebody asks for best and final, that's tough because to me that, you know, that doesn't fall, you know, when a seller asks for best and final, you know, we got to know how many offers there are. So I'm going to want to ask how many offers are there, you know, because how many times you go back and forth in this market? I mean, usually best and final, it just depends. Like if there's a lot of offers, that's the only time I would even consider doing best and finals. We got tons of offers. It's just too hard to counter every single one of them. Oftentimes your seller will say, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that. Um, it's just too much stress on them to handle. I mean, I know they'd make a lot more money if you negotiated each one of them individually. You would, you could get a lot higher seller proceeds if you did that, but the seller just doesn't want to go through that stress. They can't take being in limbo that long. And I tell them that I just say, Hey, I mean, I probably do better if we just negotiate each one of these, it's going to be a lot of stress on you. Cause I got to go over all these with you, you know, and, and I got to tell you what I'm doing and make sure you're okay with it. I can't just start picking numbers for you. That's one thing. That's about one of the few things I'm allowed to actually do without your approval is I got to present all these offers and, and get your, get your okay with any counters I make. Cause if they accept them, that's the price we take. So quite frankly, there's no way that anyone could argue that doing it this way isn't going to be more effective. However, there's a lot of them just say, I just can't handle that stress, man. I want to put this to bed and know what I'm doing. So if that's the case, they'll go highest and best. And in that case, you know, it, it depends. I mean, how, how many times they're going to go back and forth on that? It's hard to tell. The more offers they have, that's usually highest and best. And they're going to pick one of them. That's usually what happens. There is some times where they say highest and best and they don't mean that they still can't decide everybody puts their best up and they don't know so they they do it again another round of it it's just hard to tell when that's going to happen so you almost have to always just kind of consider highest and best is your last shot like you better put your best foot forward because that's your last chance because it could be they might accept one of them and i think more often than not they do but there are those chances where they see two that are really close and they just do it all again sometimes they do it all again to everybody sometimes they do it all again to just the two that were closest Again, I don't know why you wouldn't do it all again to everybody. Just more people that possibly come up and get a chance at it. And I tell each one of them that needs to get up, how to get up higher, get up higher. You were way too low. You weren't even in the mix. So this time you better go higher, a lot higher to be considered. I tell everybody that why it gets a higher price for my seller. That's, that's my job. That's my fiduciary duty is get, get a higher price for my seller. So going out there and saying it, that's how you do it. So that's the hard part. It's hard to tell how many times they're going to have you go highest and best, but I would treat each time as if it's your last chance. Because more often, more often than not, it is your last chance. And you can't really predict when it's not going to be. It just depends if someone else comes up there with you. I just know the more offers on the table, the increased likelihood that that is the case, if that makes sense. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Trainer Podcast, sponsored by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. For more information about real estate coaching or to watch Brian's training videos, check out therealestatetrainer.com or find us on social media. And remember, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're available.